This podcast is brought to you by Stella Artois. When you're planning to enjoy everything Houston has to offer, especially all the great restaurants in our city, start with Estella. Whether you're going to eat with friends or solo, start with Estella. Stella Artois. Enjoy responsibly. Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's bi-weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Before we get into the news of the week, I just want to take a quick moment to reset the show. I noticed we had a very uh, solid number of downloads in November, and I just want to thank all of you who are listening. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. If you ever have any questions about the show, you can email me, eric, E-R-I-C, at culturemap.com, or you can DM me on Instagram, at Eric Sandler. And of course, we always appreciate you taking the time to rate and review the show. But like Katie Nolan used to say, only if it's five stars and only if it's nice. With that, let me introduce my co-host this week. She is a former commercial real estate developer and a marketing expert. Monica Dano, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm good, Eric. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for doing this. Yes. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, Esquire named Nono's Family Pizza Tavern, a restaurant in Montrose, as its pizza joint of the year. This was part of their best new restaurants coverage. Now, it's worth noting that Nono's is like in a in a subsection. They didn't actually make the 50 best new restaurants list. But we'll take what little crumbs of national recognition from Esquire we can get. In fact, I I want to talk about No-Nos because we've actually eaten there together. But but before we do that, I I just want to say I was a little bit surprised that Esquire kind of snubbed us. You know, there's only one Texas restaurant on the list. It was Esti, which is a very well-liked Mexican seafood restaurant in Austin. Because I, I really feel like we had some strong contenders this year. I thought, you know, Navy Blue might be in the mix. Little's Oyster Bar might be in the mix. June certainly, Evelyn Garcia's place. Uh, so, so let me just ask you. I mean, what did you what did you think about this Esquire list and and the way that Houston was, uh, well, in my in my opinion, snubbed. Yeah, no, I think so too, Eric. You know, I think these lists obviously people love to talk about them. They're big content generators. Um, and I feel like more and more every year they're more. Um, geared toward the readers of let's let's debate this right so to some degree you know one year over the other are we going to miss some yeah i definitely agree i think a navy blue a june um would be you know much more likely to show up again i'm not familiar with the dining scene outside of houston so you know who knows who's to say who was better than who but i'm assuming you're you're familiar with some of those but um but i agree i think that houston has done some amazing things in the last three years with new restaurants. Sometimes I think it's even surprising to you and I, which ones stick around and which don't. It doesn't seem like it's always correlated to what we like or what we think is the best. So um, yeah, interesting picks here. Yeah. I mean, you know, nine restaurants from New York city is just at some point it's like you would think in, in 2023 that a publication would know better than to think that 20% of the country's best restaurants are in the the five boroughs of New York, but you know, you know, we can, 
we can complain about East Coast bias until we are blue in the face. But I, I did have to at least stand up for our locals. And and then I guess that sort of that brings me to to no nos as the pizza joint of the year. You know, we've had an amazing year for for new pizza uh, in this town. Just sort of thinking about just a few of them. Obviously, no nos is is up there, but. You know, Terrence Gallivan from the Pass and Provisions opened Elro this year. Michael Fulmer and I talked about Coastline, a new Neapolitan pizzeria in the First Ward a few weeks ago. Our old friend Anthony Callio of Pie Pizza and Rudyard's just opened Gold Tooth Tony's, his new Detroit pizza concept. So, you know, it's just been, there's been a lot of new pizza this year. And and so, you know, I'm starting to think about the best new restaurants of uh, of 2023 and and we'll have our our annual kind of look back at the dining scene in a couple of weeks. So, so I guess my question to you is if no, no's is, is Esquire's pizza joint of the year, but is it, is it Houston's pizza joint of the year? Cause I'm, I'm as much as I like it, I'm not sure it is. You know, I was thinking about this when I saw it and, you know, Esquire tends to be a highly stylized aesthetic magazine. Right. And I think that they were probably looking for similar picks of recommendations. Right. So if you think about gold tooth Tony's, if you think about Coastline, um, I think maybe their recognition of Nono's took in more to account than just the food, right? We've talked about this on the show when we went to Nono's, beautiful design, kind of retro 80s feel, Pizza Hut. I, you know, I have a feeling that some of these restaurants, it's the ambiance and the experience that they're looking at as well. Maybe not just the food, it's not a food magazine. Um, so I'm wondering if, you know, a lot of that, even into the picks of, you know, top 50, does that go in? If Esquire is going to recommend a restaurant, does their brand um, need to be reflected in the entire experience? No, no. And I, I, I think that's exactly right. I think that this is, this is more about uh, the atmosphere and the vibe. Like, yes, the food is, is very good. And I mean, Lord knows, if they got recognized for nothing else other than those mozzarella sticks, like I would be completely fine with it. <laughs> uh, but this is more about the vibes, right? That this, that Sarah and Martin Sayer worked with Jim Braverman to create this like retro Gen X nostalgia, eighties pizza hut updated atmosphere with that super fun arcade that your son really enjoyed. And this, these just, these immaculate, you know, as the kids say, the immaculate vibes uh, <laughs> that they've created. And, and, and so I, I do think, you know, that is worth recognition, right? Like that, you know, they've agreed that, that they've created something really special. It's just, uh, you know, if, if, if it were, if it were pizza of the year and not pizza joint of the year, I think I'd have a harder time coming up with what the Houston, the Houston pizza of the year is, as opposed to the Houston pizza joint of the year. Well, and we've, with all these new additions in the last few years, you know, we've gotten really granular in types of pizza, right? We've got Chicago, we've got Detroit, you know, we've got New York, um, I think that in the past, pizza could be lumped together as what's your favorite pizza joint. And now I think with all these different iterations, it's harder to do that. I mean, you, you're in the mood for different types of pizza. You know, used to it was a slice of pizza. Now it's, do you want a square Detroit pizza? Do you want a deep dish? Are you looking for, you know, a nice cheesy New York slice? I think having those conversations and really watching some Houston operators really dive into those specific kinds and specific recipes. I mean, Angie's, right? I mean, I think that, you know, if we can get Angie's to open up somewhere, um, it's definitely would be a contender. Um, but yeah, no, I think it would be hard. I haven't gone to some of the, I haven't been to Elrose. I haven't had another pizza yet. 
hadn't been to coastline yet, but um, I think when we think about aesthetic and experience versus, hey, blind taste test, there's three, you know, slices of pizza here, eat them and tell me what tastes the best. Those are different questions. Right. And and I do think, I, I think that's a good point, right? That that Elro is this very curated experience with the the colorful wallpapers and the the whole menu of crudo and the and the delicious cocktails and that really fantastic patio. And that, you know, it's a little more, it's a little more grown up, right? Nono's yeah. is obviously more family friendly. And and Coastline has that like great New York vibe with the narrow dining room and the brick walls. So, you know, it's not just it's not just what makes the most delicious pizza. It's not just the star pizza style, like retro signs on the walls. Like not that that, not that that doesn't have its place and not that I don't occasionally crave a deep dish Joe's, but you know, our, our pizza scene, I think you're right, has really stepped up in terms of style and diversity and, and quality. And, and so we're all kind of just basking in that and enjoying it. And, uh, yeah, no, 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 is part of that. And, and, and so are a bunch of other restaurants. I think, I think, Ultimately, what this means is we're just going to have to settle this with a what's Eric eating uh, Houston pizza draft. I think, I think ah, that's how this goes. You said it. You said it. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to topic number two. Andiron, the steakhouse from the owners of the Pit Room and Candente, announced that it has hired Michael O'Connor as its new executive chef. Uh, we've talked about Michael before on the show. I think he brings experience from Vic and Anthony's. Uh, the Houston Country Club, and most recently, Better Luck Tomorrow, where he was in place for a couple of years. He replaces Louis Maldonado, who was a guest on the show a while back. He, uh, a Top Chef alum and and someone who had led a Michelin-starred restaurant in California, he left after less than three months in the role. So let me just ask you, I mean, we went to, we went to Andiron for my birthday. We had a fantastic dinner. Uh, when Lewis was the executive chef, I haven't been back too often since then, but I'm I'm excited about this. I I know Michael a little bit. I've known him for a long time. So, what do you think about this move for Andiron? I really like this move for Andiron. I really like Michael O'Connor and what he's done. I loved what he did at BLT. You know, I think when you've got a restaurant group like like Michael's, um, Sam Brooks and O'Connor. It helps to have a chef name. You know, Michael O'Connor's been in the industry. Lots of people know who he is. People know what he can do. I think specifically at BLT, I really got to know what he can do there. And I think for Andiron, for whatever reason, and I've said this on the show several times, I think Andiron was one of my very favorite meals we had this year for your birthday. And that's, that was a long time ago. <laughs> it's almost been a year since. And I'm still thinking about that, but at the time I probably couldn't even name who the chef was. Right. And, and that maybe that's just my naivete, but I think hearing a name like Michael O'Connor will definitely get people to, like you said, we loved the meal. I I've only been back once since. So um, having that as a draw to the great experience we had, I think is a really good move for Sam Brooks. Yeah. And you know, Michael, I mean, Michael's an interesting guy, right? He's, you know, he's a little bit, He's a little bit quirky. He's very detail oriented. And, you know, as, as Michael Sandbrooks, the owner of Andiron said to me, you need that because what sets Andiron apart, of course, is that they're cooking on live fire yep. and managing the way, managing the fire and, and using all those techniques requires someone who frankly is a bit of a nerd and is kind of obsessive about this stuff. Yeah, yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I mean that, I mean that in the nicest possible way, but I think Michael O'Connor is very qualified for this and he ran... Vic and Anthony is very well for a very for 
as the executive chef for eight years. And he worked for Brian Caswell before that. I mean, this is not, you know, this is, this is a guy who, who knows good food. Who's a very organized and, and I think will bring, you know, stability and consistency to and iron, which is exactly what you want in a steakhouse, right? It's got to be medium rare has to be medium rare every single time on every single dish. And, and you got to nail it. And that's the kind of discipline that Michael O'Connor brings. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm I'm looking forward to going back. We should do it again. Maybe not for your birthday again, but soon. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. No, I don't. I don't want to wait Annual. until my birthday to go back. Right? Like I'm uh, knowing knowing that Michael's in place. I I want to go a little sooner than that. And uh, one of the things that Michael Sandberg said is that you know they're doing lunch on Fridays now. They've been doing that for uh, a month or so. He wants to expand that. He wants to be one of those daytime lunch spots. And you know, as someone with a flexible job schedule who likes to sneak out every now and then I'm, I'm fully in favor of that. Cause I, I am that jerk. I, I will drop 50 bucks on lunch, not all the time, but, he, but occasionally an end iron seems like as good a place as any to do that. Yeah. You know, when I, when I heard first heard about that center being developed several years ago, I'll tell you from real estate or how real estate had on, um, I was a little skeptical. Um, it's not really a business heavy center, um, you know, with, with, with Blendon and, um, Clarkwood and, and Andiron there love the building. And it's very similar to the kind of work that I did in real estate where it's taking an, you know, an area and sort of repurposing an older building. But, but I've been surprised, you know, I think with Andiron, with Clarkwood's obviously been a huge success there. Um, I'm curious how they're, how the Andiron Friday lunches will go without really a strong business center nearby, but you're right. I mean, I think that having more of those options, um, I think is great. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. And I think, you know, the other thing you talk about Clarkwood and Andiron, you know, there is some synergy there and they are both working on building out their patios, which will give them both a little more room and, and some you know, some new options in terms of the kind of programming that they're able to do and the number of people uh, they're able to hold. And so, you know, I, when I, again, when I talked to them last week, no one, no one's committing to a timeline for when the patio is actually going to be finished. But, you know, I think comfortably sometime in the spring, February, if we're lucky, maybe March or April, we'll be on, you know, we'll be able to have dinner on the patio at Andiron and then, you know, hop the you know, hop next door to the patio at Clarkwood for uh, for drinks after, and and that'll be a a nice a nice way to spend a a spring evening. I think I love that pair together. You know, I get asked a lot, which I know you do too. Random texts from friends: Hey, I've got a date night. Where should I go? I've got people in town. Where should I go? I find myself recommending and iron and then drinks later at Clarkwood a lot. Um, and, and everyone that's gone has has told me that it's been a great experience. So good for them. Absolutely. All right, and let's do. Topic number three, the Common Bond team led by executive chef Jason Gould and their director of operations, Brad Seri, have opened 1891 American Eatery and Bar in the former Berry Hill space on 11th Street. Uh, Monica, this hits, this hits close. Ha! Easy for me to say. Monica, this hits close to home for you yeah. because you have leased any number of restaurants in the Heights. So what do you think about... What do you think about 1891 American Eatery and Bar? Is this uh, is this just what the Heights needs? You know, I'm probably not the first person to say the Heights probably doesn't need any more restaurants. But I will say, 
funny we talk about Sam Brooks because for years, our office was on 11th. For years, we heard he was going to go into that space with Candente. Um, I even got a wink from him at one point when I asked about it. So I know that that space has been empty for a long time. I know the neighborhood has been waiting and waiting to see what's going to be there. You know, when I think about 11th Street, you know, to me, I, you know, we owned a lot of real estate on 11th Street. So I'm very up on 11th. I think it's really the center of that neighborhood. I really like this sort of um, upscale diner type American cuisine for there. Besides like a local foods or a dish society, which are more a little, I think, kind of come and go, lunch traffic, bunch of heavy salads. Um, this reminds me more, um, you know, of like the classic, right? That used to be on Washington. And I think when you think about the Heights and where you're headed, there's so many uh, specific cuisines. And I'll tell you what, as a real estate developer, um, real estate is expensive. It's very expensive in the Heights. Um, We tend to build, we tended to build smaller spaces and with a smaller space, you need to narrow, right? It's sushi, it's a burger, it's a pizza, right? When you have a fully built out space, that's pretty large. You're saving a bunch of money, right? Cause it's a full kitchen already. Um, so I like the idea that it took the, it took the stance of uh, kind of a, a, a diner upscale diner. I like the menu. I like the variety. I think families in the Heights appreciate that. I think that it's hard to take your kid to just a, a sushi restaurant that just has hand rolls. Um, so I do think that also the nod to 1891, um, and Houston history being in the Heights is really a smart tie-in for them. I agree. And, and you know, just looking at the menu, I mean, they've got burgers, they've got a grilled salmon, they've got short ribs, they've got steamed mussels and pastas and tacos and, and everything else and steaks, of course. And I just think, I just think this just makes a ton of sense. I mean, I you know, too. we're always, we always sort of talk about family-friendly being kind of the key to unlock the heights and and certainly you know Loro has been a, a huge hit on 11th street with a with a wide-ranging relatively affordable menu and a fast casual dining model this is this 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 seems like it's uh sort of some sort of somewhere in between right like yeah. you know it's sit down it's sit down full service so it's a little more formal than Loro it's probably a little more approachable in terms of its menu uh than maybe a place like Field and Tides it's right down the street from it yeah, uh, and so, you know, I think this is this is a place where like a family can go with kids. They can have a pretty good dinner or lunch or brunch, and it'll just be it'll just be easy. And look, I mean, Jason is a very experienced chef. I mean, his his history in Houston goes back to to Gravitas, which was yeah. you know kind of an iconic bistro in the kind of the vanguard of Houston emerging as a dining scene. And and he's done good work at Cyclone Anaya's, and and now it a common bond. And, and I just think, you know, this is, this is kind of a no brainer. Like I, like I want to try the food and I, and I, you know, I want to have an opinion about the food, but like, you know, I've, I've been kind of glancing at uh, Houston Heights foodies, the, the Facebook group and they're, they're already in. Right. So, you know, I don't know if, I don't know if it'll, it'll reach the level of the fervor that they have for uh, a place like Triola's, but fingers crossed. Yeah. Uh, just cause, just cause, you know, I've, I've known Jason again for a long time and, I always like to see him be successful. So 
Yeah, no, uh, I agree. I think it's just uh, it's screaming brunch, right? <laughs> I think absolutely. During the day, brunch, bring your kids, kid friendly, right in the middle of the Heights on 11th. I mean, they got a good deal there. You know, I think, like I said, we've been wondering who's been going to go back in that space for a long time. And we've talked about this before of that kind of being the perimeter of the Heights market closer to the east side. Um, I think that will probably pull more business to things like Bella Green and Field and Tides, right, that are even further east. So I think it really fills in that 11th Street corridor. Speaking of, I guess this this weekend was the I Love 11th Street Street Festival. I had heard about. I didn't. Oh I didn't no! Okay. Out there, but I saw it in the leader, and um, apparently all kinds of activities going on up and down 11th. You know, the bike path. I mean, the bike lanes are all open now, and I thought it was really cool to see them embrace sort of that. Um, group think that you know 19th street has done so well absolutely yeah i you know the the very controversial uh bike lane and the, and the way that 11th street has been narrowed to accommodate it this is this is the urban future that everybody says they want but no one wants to be directly affected by so i'm glad to see i'm glad to see those businesses getting together and and utilizing their uh resources all right monica i'm gonna say that does it for the news of the week we'll be right back with our restaurant of the week stick around monica for our restaurant of the week i'm going to talk to you about Mikosina. this is the new tex-mex restaurant it opened in the former seasons 52 space on Westheimer, right next to River Oaks District. It comes to us from Dallas, where they have something like 20 locations spread across Dallas, Fort Worth, and even in Oklahoma. We were not able to go there together, unfortunately, but we did go there separately. So, Monica, Dana, let me just ask you, what did you think of your visit to Mikosina? I'll tell you, I didn't want to like it. <laughs> you know, this, this Houston-Dallas rivalry runs deep. And anytime we hear, and they're probably the same, right? We we bring restaurants to Dallas and they don't want to like it. Um, you know, I think a River Oaks location, first location for a Dallas concept is so on brand, right? We're going to go smack dab in River Oaks. <laughs> well, and, the, and that's where they're at their most successful, right? Preston Hollow and neighborhoods like that in Dallas. Like that's their, that's kind of where Mikosina is at its, at its best. Right. It's like Dallas's Armando's, right? Um, I think that's right. Yes. Yeah. I think, th- I think that's well said down the street. Um, but yeah, so I'll, I'll first talk about kind of the experience. Um, you know, I was a little, I had, first of all, I've never been to a Mikosina in, in Dallas. So it was totally new to me. Um, I was a little surprised by the interior. It felt a little, um, I feel like it could be a little bit more festive, not from the crowd perspective, but just from an interior design. And, and maybe they all look like that sort of kind of beige muted tones, um, the lights were really bright, which I know you and I think uh, think a lot about those things, lighting and ambiance, how that um, how that transitions into kind of the experience. But it was packed. It was one of the first days that it was open. It was definitely a River Oaks crowd. I mean, just kind of looking around, there was people celebrating birthdays. You had people dressed to the nines. Um, you had people that had come just from after work that were in suits. Definitely kind of a younger, I guess, River Oaks crowd, it looked like to me. I sat at the bar, which I like to do. Um, and of course, you know, the first thing they do is ask you if you want a, a specialty margarita. And of course, who am I to turn that down? So the, the Mambo taxi. 
um, yeah. which was great. Yes, the, a, frozen, a frozen margarita with a swirl of sangria. And it was great. It was a good margarita. It was a good price point. You know, we're, we're so we're so used to these days seeing these drink menus go up and up and up. We were somewhere the other day and I think there was a $22 martini. So the drink was great. Um, wasn't really sure what to order. I, I obviously I like Tex-Mex. I'm a kind of a um, tortilla soup, caldo, uh, salad kind of type girl. But I did, I did go with the the Tex-Mex, Tex-Mex Trinity. I think it was called uh, uh, El Rey's. It was a cheese enchilada, a beef taco, and a pork tamale with rice and beans, just to give it a go. And and I'll be I'll be honest, it was really good <laughs> for the price point, which I think it was fifteen bucks, fourteen ninety five. Look, this wasn't. Um, this wasn't Herbe, this wasn't, you know, anything upscale, but um, for a Tex-Mex plate, uh, I was impressed. It was tasty. Things were well-seasoned. I liked the rice and beans, which typically don't touch rice and beans in a combo platter. But um, I was pleasantly surprised with the food. Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, we had we had kind of different experiences because I went to the media preview at the Monkey Bar, which is like, kind of a speakeasy style space that's sort of hidden in the back of the restaurant. You know, I think it's got an, I think it's even got like an unmarked door, you know, they they kind of, they kind of play that aspect up, but the lights are a little lower. It's obviously, you know, it's lounge style seating. It feels a little more grown up. And so I got to try some of the different appetizers, you know, little, little crispy tacos and nachos and quesadilla. And, and I think that, you know, the thing that impressed me about, what I tried was how like, like the nacho, like has a big piece of steak on it. You know, it's not like, it's not chopped up. It's not, it's not pulled apart. It's like, it's like a pretty hearty piece of protein on there. And the same for the chicken. And, you know, again, like a, I mean, I don't even know how you would mess up a quesadilla, but like, you know, give me the cheese pull, give me the gooey cheese, give me the, give me plenty of avocado in there. Like, let me have some fun with it. And I agree with you. I mean, I had a, I had a mambo taxi obviously it's easy for a frozen margarita to go wrong, right? They can be too sweet is the most obvious thing, way in which they can. And then, you know, if they don't taste enough like tequila, you know, you don't feel like you're getting your money's worth, but, but I thought it flavor wise, it was spot on. I thought the texture was good. And then I had like a, an agave riff on an old fashioned that I really enjoyed. So, you know, I think the cocktails are, are solid. I think, like you said, they're well-priced, you know, in an age of, you know, 15 and $18 cocktails. These are, more like 11 or 12, which is uh, the new kind of reasonable. And yeah, I think, I think it's affordable. I think it's pretty tasty. I was, I was surprised by how spicy the salsa was that caught me a little bit off guard. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I liked I it. I like, yeah, a spicy salsa. <laughs> I, like a, I like a spicy salsa, but, but, you know, sometimes at these kind of old or Tex-Mex places, like, you know, it's usually a little more mild. It's like, no, no, they're, they're like, they're, they're pushing it hard. So you know, I, I like that about it. And and obviously, look, if they could capture some of the bar crowd that's already going to places, you know, you know you've got Boss Cat, you've got Lock Bar, you've got La Colonial, you've got Bisu, you've got Steak 48, you've got Mad, you've got Toulouse, like all right there. So all they need to do is just get a little bit of like, if instead of going to Boss Cat for burgers and whiskey, you get someone who wants, oh, I want, I want tacos and a margarita. Like that's, that's plenty of people like that will keep that will yeah. keep me Cosina busy for a long time. So I think we we kind of come to this. We, we sort of, you know, anytime a Dallas restaurant comes to Houston, 
uh, there's a certain amount of skepticism and, and, you know, Miko Sina has tried this a couple times before they were, they were in kind of the, the Tanglewood Briar Grove Memorial area in the mid aughts. And then they were in the woodlands in the teens and neither one quite stuck, but I, I was talking to them at this media event and they're like, Oh no, we have like three senior managers who collectively have like more than 50 years of experience working for Miko Sina have moved to Houston to run this new location. And I think, I think that's what you need, right? You need to like really bring that culture and enforce those standards and just do what you do. And, and I think, I think they'll be just fine. Yeah. And I, it was clear to me, this was an opening staff from a, uh, you know, from Dallas, right? I mean, everyone was friendly. There was people walking up to the bar asking if I needed anything. I thought the monkey bar was interesting. And I guess it was different from when you were there, but the door was just propped right open and people were just walking in and out. So I was a little confused at the the, the hidden bar. Um, and maybe that was just because it was opening night and they had a big crowd, but it didn't feel very exclusive. I did walk through it and and you're right. Lights were a little darker. People were sitting kind of more loungy. So I definitely would spend some time back there, but um, I was surprised at the accessibility of the secret bar. Yeah. I guess, I guess maybe more <laughs> secret, more secret on media night, maybe less secret on, on day to day. I'll, I'll be curious to see how that kind of, they integrate together. I'm, I'm eager to go back and sit in the main dining room and have a regular meal there. And you know, try some of the things I haven't had, right? I haven't had fajitas yet. I haven't had, yeah. you know, you had a cheese enchilada, but I haven't yet. Like I I want some of those staples. I want to see how it stacks up. Yeah. And I'll get the soup next time. All right. Anything else on Mikosina? Nope. I'll, I'll go back. I, I will say, I know we've talked about this several episodes that I kind of judge a place based on the DMs that I get when I'm posting, when I'm there, <laughs> how many, <laughs> like an official scale for us for when I'm on the show. Uh, I should count them. Um, quite a bit of DMs, lots of people that are from Dallas or lived in Dallas. Oh my God, I didn't know this is opening. Where is it? Did you have a taxi? You know, so I think just by judging of uh, Monica's DM <laughs> scale, it, it's going to be very popular. All right. So Mary Clarkson has the yum yum scale. Monica <laughs> Dana has the DM scale. I, I like this. We're, we're branding the co-host. I think this is, this is exactly what we need. Um, I should actually read some next episode. I'm going to read some of the DMs. All right. Next time. Next. Yes, we'll do that. Next time you're on the show, we'll we'll pick a restaurant that we think will generate some conversation and we'll we'll dive into your DMs. Awesome. Love it. All right, Monica, I'm going to say that does it for the restaurant of the week. So thank you very much. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for having me. That's it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. Join me on Thursday when my guest will be Tony Wynn from Saigon House and Sin Chow.